Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Are you glad to be here this morning? It's good to be in worship. It's good to be together. I'll tell you, we've, we've been through so much time of not being able to see one another that when we're brought back into connection, it just is, it's what we're meant for, to live in community. We're in Psalm 125 this morning as we continue our series of the Psalms of Ascent that we can offer by God's grace our highest praise, not just when it's easy, but in hardest times. And this is a song of safety, right? A psalm of safety. This is the, the Israelites and the worshipers as they would travel. There's a reality of danger, all right? You know a little bit about danger on road trips. Sometimes it's close to your house and you get a flat tire, your vehicle stops running, you know, uh, whatever it may be, you end up in a place you don't know where you are, and whoever's driving won't stop for directions, <laughs> usually men. Uh, I, I saw, I don't know if it was on the Weather Channel or one of the programs where, where you know, things turn deadly, how to survive. And there was a couple out in Arizona, and they took their Jeep out, and they went out just into the canyon. And they turned, and it tipped over on its side. I mean, it just, boom, right on its side. They couldn't get it started they didn't have a way to connect. The cell phone didn't work. And they had not planned out, you know, planned to be out there for a long time. And it became a life and death trip. What was supposed to be just a few hours in a beautiful landscape ended up being a fight for their lives. And it turned dangerous. And not just a, uh, I think it might be dangerous. It was deadly. It could have been deadly had they not made it to the right place at the right time before the temperatures dropped in the desert, it could have been deadly. This morning, as we talk about the, this song of safety, you think about the, the pilgrims as they would travel, these Israelites, the worshipers, as they would travel from their house to Jerusalem, making their way up, there were certain dangers. Could be animals. I remember speaking of the West, there was a, a man who came to train the chaplains came to train police officers. And he was talking about when he's out west in the Grand Canyon, he can look around and he can see the city slickers. He can see the people who aren't from there. He said, you know how I know? Because they walk around looking like this. Oh, look over there. Look over there. And he said, if you're from there, you don't go around with your head up. You watch the path because a rattlesnake will come across at any moment. They're everywhere. And he could tell, here's the people who don't, they don't understand what's out here. The people who were local, they're looking at, uh-huh, yep, that's nice, uh-huh, well, that's nice too. And they're watching the path because there's a certain danger always lurking. A psalm of safety is what we want to look at this morning. It's a, Psalm 125 is a corporate psalm of confidence. Okay, so you think about the football team, and they're like confident, and they chant, they sing together. And it's one thing to sing coming out of the locker room. It's another 
It's another thing to sing at the end when you won the game, right? Game's over, they gather, helmets off, should this ever be able to happen again? And they sing their school fight song and they're all together in their voice. It's a song of confidence and a song of victory as this song is a public declaration of trust in the Lord, trust in Jehovah, in Yahweh. We see here in this psalm the desire of the people of God to see the Lord protect the righteous, to punish the wicked, and to ultimately give peace to Israel. It's okay for us to pray that God, this is what governments are to do, promote what is right, punish what is wrong, provide an environment of peace and safety. And no one, no government, no person can do what our God does. Psalm 125 The psalmist writes, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forevermore, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. As we study through this psalm this morning, let's get a a little history of where we've been. Psalm 120, the Lord is my deliverer. He's looking at all the circumstances around Lift your eyes up. Psalm 121, the Lord is my helper. Lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then Psalm 122, the Lord is my peace. He looks beyond the circumstances, beyond the hills to where the house of the Lord is. It's still elevating. The Lord is my peace. Psalm 123, the Lord is my master. He looks all the way up to the heavens. Psalm 124, the Lord is my salvation. Psalm 125, the Lord is my protector. The Lord is my protector. We need his protection. We cannot survive without his protection. At one time or another, we've all been scared. We've all been afraid. Some type of danger. Maybe it was we thought we were in danger. I thought. I saw that. Um, It was just a couple weeks ago. We were at breakfast, looked out. Jan and Dave live right out the back from us. They might be watching now. And I looked and there was an animal and it wasn't one of our 1.1 million squirrels that we have around our yard. I looked out and if you don't know, they, they just got, Dave and Jan, they just got a little dog. Dog's about this big. Klein, okay, this big. No? Gertie, Klein's the brother. Gertie. So out there is Klein, you know, and, and we look in and she's gone inside And I look and I'm looking at the bottom of a tree and I'm saying, what is at the bottom of that tree? It's an animal and I haven't seen this animal in the backyard. Last night it was a deer at walkthrough. I'm looking out and I got my phone out. It was a fox. And the fox is just making his way across the yard just ever so carefully. And here's two squirrels doing what squirrels do. They're playing. They don't know what's going on. They don't know danger is right here 20 feet away. And here comes that fox. And the squirrels are chasing each other. And they make their way down the tree. And they get about this far from the ground. And the squirrel sees the fox. And they turn, both of them. And they shoot back up the tree. The fox's ears drop. And he just saunters off like, man, I almost had breakfast, lunch, and dinner right there. And not today. There was danger right there. So I quick sent 
The message to the neighbor, don't bring out the little dog. There's a fox somewhere around. And that fox would just probably just come, thank you, drive through service, carry out, gone, right? Danger. Sometimes we think there's danger and there's not danger. Sometimes we don't know there's danger. And I said it again this week, had the Lord not been on our side, I probably was in a couple situations that I'm not here, had the Lord not been on our side, hadn't been on my side even this week, protecting me through various decisions sometimes having to do with a lawnmower or saw, you know? Psalm 56 verse 3 says this, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And when I think about safety and an image that presents the image of safety, it has to be a newborn, a newborn that is just nursed and is there with mom in mom's arms and all the world is right They don't care who's the president. They don't care what's going on on social media. They don't care about anything. They are asleep and full and confident and happy at rest. And when you think about what the psalmist says we have in the Lord, I want that imagery to resound that there's one place that we can be safe and completely at rest, and it's trusting in the Lord. That kind of an example, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. So this morning, there's two types of people. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth, there were two types of people. 3,000 years ago, when the Psalms were written, there are two types of people. The Garden of Eden, two types of evil, two types of people, and put out, and those children, Cain, Abel, two types of people. And we're going to look at that from Psalm 125 this morning. And my question is this, and it's going to reoccur throughout the message. For those who are here, for those who are watching, which person are you? Which person are you? The first person we see is those who trust in the Lord. These are the individuals who trust in the Lord. And the psalmist gives a description in Psalm 125. What is the person like who trusts in the Lord? What are they like? First of all, we see in verse 1, they are secure forever. The person who places their confidence in the Lord, they place their faith and trust in the Lord. This person, they are secure forever. And so it's from the Old Testament we're given the doctrine of eternal security. That those who trust in the Lord are secure, what John 3, 16, everlasting life. It doesn't begin the moment that you take your last breath and die. Everlasting life begins the moment you turn from your sin and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that they are eternally secure. Trust. Trust is best displayed through obedience. I remember being as a kid, my dad had always, if we were swimming in a pool somewhere and he'd be like, jump, jump to me. He'd be in the water, I'd be on the edge. Jump to me. You know that? And that dilemma, can I trust you? It seems so far. And I remember how hard that was to just jump and, you know, make that. And you look back on it now, it's like, come on. I was the dad in the pool. Come on, jump to me. I got you. This is no big deal. But in the mind of a child, it's like jumping off stories of a building. It's a perceived danger that isn't there. And trust me, trust me. Those who trust in the Lord, the psalmist says, are like Mount Zion. Cannot be removed forever or it cannot be moved, but abides forever. Trust. Trust is a response. It, it's not an action. It's, it's trust. 
that's followed up by an action. That's how salvation is, by grace through faith. The picture will come on the screen. Dr. Carl Rasmussen, Holy Land Photos, it's online. This man has been so helpful. I, I, I sent him an email this week. I said, I can't find a picture of the city of David. He emailed me back later that morning. How about this one? One of the collection. I was like, that, that works. A red little box will come up, and it'll highlight the city of David, Mount Zion. A few weeks ago, we talked about when they brought the Ark of the Covenant up from the city of David up to just above that red box there is the Temple Mount where Solomon built the temple. Today, there's this, the Dome of the Rock is there. The Islamic Shrine is there. And, and Israelites pray at the Wailing Wall down beside in the foundation. But this perspective gives you an angle that you need to understand this psalm. That this Mount Zion, this city of David is right there and it's nestled. There's other mountains around it, surrounding it. Um, just to the right of it there, for our, from our perspective, is the Mount of Olives, Mount Olivet. It's higher in elevation, but it surrounds this mountain of God. It cannot be moved. It's a place of the Lord's choosing. This place abides forever. Nothing will thwart God's plan. What lasts forever? Your car? <laughs> no. That favorite toy you got as a kid? No. Nothing lasts forever except God, his word, his kingdom, your soul, the souls of men and women, forever somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. We trust in, etern in an eternal God, so our safety shall be eternal, is what Spurgeon said. Listen to a few verses from the Old Testament. There are many about Mount Zion. I just want to give you a few about this location, this spot on planet Earth. 2 Kings 19 and verse 31. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will what? Do this. This will happen, will be accomplished. Psalm 48, one and two. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Holy, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. So this beautiful, that where it's placed, it's like a jewel set on a ring. Psalm 78, verse 68, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet has much to say about Mount Zion. I just have one verse. And he says this, and there's a future reality to Mount Zion. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. So when you think about God's plan, when you think about God's choosing, when you think about his grace, it's not here and then gone. It's not temporary. It's not like you and me who try, we're going to try to do something this week and maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't happen. 
When the Lord makes a plan, he comes through with it every time. So there's an application here. The illustration is the the Mount Zion. It's a mountain. But the application is those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved. There's stability here for the child of God. This is supreme safety. It's very different than what happens in parenting. And maybe you remember if you had a parent or, or someone older brother that would constantly pick on you. They were bigger than you. Maybe you tried to wrestle with uh, your dad, and he would just put his hand out and just give you like the, the, the forearm, you know, just the stiff arm, like, yeah, good luck, you know. But here's what happens over time. That child does what? Grows up. Suddenly, it's not your hand keeping them anymore, right? It has to be something else that they don't take you down and wrestle you and you have to tap out because your strength changes and it transfers. I remember way back, I think it was about 19 something, 80, my my grandma was sick and we went out to Montana and did a family trip out there and my cousins were out there and they were wrestling my grandfather. I think he was somewhere in his 70s and he was still taking them, three against one and he had them. I mean, he was still doing his 100 push-ups a day but I remember, I think I was, you know, eight, nine years old, after one of the wrestling matches, I remember my grandpa getting up being like, how? That kind of hurt. These guys are getting bigger. It's not the same as what it used to be. And in time, that transfers. And what used to be the child, no big deal, suddenly the child is then helping the parent and stabilizing the parent. And there's a transfer of that strength and stability That will never happen with the children of God. We are stable. Mount Zion is stable. There will not be something else come and more powerful than our God in whom we trust. This is what Spurgeon says. He says, Zion cannot be removed and does not remove. So the people of God can neither be moved passively nor actively by foe from without or fickleness from within. What's he saying? There's nothing coming that can take us down as the people of God from outside, and there's no proneness to wander, fickleness within, that will ever cause us, when we trust in the Lord, to be removed. It cannot be moved. They will abide forever in fullness of joy. And this morning, as I bring this message, I don't have anything to sell. I'm not trying to sell you anything, but I have everything to offer. It was purchased with the blood of Christ. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. Okay, path of life. There's another path leads to death. God has revealed the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Never ending, full. There's no better offer anywhere than what the Lord offers to us in trusting him in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the people of God, those who trust in the Lord are secure forever. And we also see in verse two, they are surrounded by the Lord. That he goes as we sing before, behind, beside, all around and within. That's surrounded. That's protected. That's having all your bases covered. Verse 2, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. 
So he uses the visual aid. This mountain, Mount Zion. The mountains that surround Jerusalem, that surround the city of David. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says it this way. He said, God doth not enclose his people within ramparts and bulwarks, making their city to be a prison. Okay, so Mount Zion isn't stuck in some walled area that looks like a prison cell. But yet he so orders the arrangements of his providence that his saints are as safe as if they dwelt behind the strongest fortifications. That's what God does for us. That's this analogy. That's this picture, this imagery of Mount Zion and the mountains that surround us so that when Titus came from Rome to conquer the city, it was no easy challenge. He had to mitigate those valleys. He had to work through that terrain and he commented on how hard it was to take this city. There's an application here. The mountains surround Jerusalem. So the Lord surrounds his people. One of my favorite accounts, I want you to go with me in your Bibles back to 2 Kings. Turn there or uh, you know, punch there on your app, 2 Kings chapter 6. And the key scripture of this, this text is going to come up on the screen. But there's more. There's more who are with us than are with them. But what's going on in this scene is the king of Syria, this is in the time of Elisha the prophet, the king of Assyria was warring against Israel. And what was happening is he was making plans and somebody he thought was leaking his plans. Someone was a spy on the inside and everything they got, they were emailing or text messaging to Israel and they would find out the information. Some of you were listening and you caught that, right? He didn't know what was happening. How was the information getting over there? They had no phones to tap. It's like a bird's listening. His only deduction was somebody in this, my cabinet, is leaking information. Because every time they would go over here, Israel would be waiting. Every time they would go over here, nobody's there. Just strike one, strike two. And someone says, King, here's what's going on. They have a man of God. His name is Elisha. And Elisha knows everything that's happening in this room, your bedroom. He knows everything. So the king comes up with a novel idea. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sneak up on Elisha at night, and we're going to get this man. Okay. Get the chariots. Get the soldiers. Let's go. And they find out he's in Dothan. They're going to go take him. All right, so here they go. They came by night. And look at it. He said, go and see where he is, that I might send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he's in Dothan, verse 14. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Okay, advantage right now, king of, king of Syria. Nighttime, horses, great army, surrounding. We got this one in the bag. We snuck up on him. This is going to be an easy battle. He was thinking right there. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, check this out. An army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Panic, he said. Pick up the red phone. Call another nation. No, that's not what he said. He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, the servant is thinking, that doesn't look right. 
What do you mean? I'm not trained for war. How are we going to fight against them? Then Elisha, verse 17, prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, something he didn't see before. The mountain was full of horses and chariots. Going to one-up them now. Of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness and in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, all right, here's the battle right here. This is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me. I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. Okay, that wasn't how they were planning on the battle to go that day. You know, the horses are there and doing all that horses do. And there they are, and they got the chariots, and they got everything. And pretty soon, they just can't see. And Elisha just walks out, puts himself together. You guys looking for someone? Follow me. And there they go, and they all kind of like, we're going this way? And they follow one another all the way to Samaria. They get to Samaria. They go into the city. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, Open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Okay, who's in charge of that battle? It wasn't the king of Assyria. And it wasn't the king of Israel. It was the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. And they were surrounded the servant couldn't see it. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 8, the disciples are out on a boat. They're with Jesus. Jesus was sleeping. And suddenly the storm comes up on the water and they are surrounded by this storm. There's no way out, they thought. Luke chapter 8, verse 22, one day he got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Notice he didn't say, let's try to go across. Let's see if we can make it across. He said, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Paraphrase, we're going to die. You're sleeping. And he awoke. And rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Who is this? This is the master. You see, there's a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. There's an appropriate fear and an inappropriate fear. And Moses talks about this in Exodus 20 and verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear. 
For God has come to test you. Okay, so the note takers are like, do not, what was the last word? Fear, do not fear. Thank you very much. And he continues his message on. He says that the fear of him may be before you. Now, what was that next point? Fear, have the fear of God. Do not fear, have the fear of God. Wait a second. Don't be afraid or have fear. Which is it, Moses? That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. John Piper, in a devotion this week, he said it this way, there is a fear that is slavish and drives us away from God. And there is a fear that is sweet and draws us to God. Moses warned of one and called for the other in the very same verse. There's a fear of God, and then there's a fear of everything else. We're to fear God because it leads us away from sin. It leads us to holiness. So here we see a promise of eternal security when the psalmist is saying, well, how long can we be secure? How long can we be settled from this time forth, the end of verse 2, and how long? Forevermore. When does that come to an end? Never. They're secure forever. They are surrounded by the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. They are, we see also, satisfied in the goodness of, of God. They're satisfied in the goodness of God. And we see this in verse 5. There's a prayer of blessing upon the righteous. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. We know that God is good and all that he does is good. This is a prayer for blessing upon God's people. Believers understand every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variables, no shadow of turning. Everything good we have in life, it's from Jesus. Everything. But what about our ability to be declared good? When we read that and we said, those who are good, wait, wait, am I good? Who's a good person? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Have you ever coveted it? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Suddenly we're left with who can, who's a good person And there's only one good, and that is God, which is what Jesus asked the rich young ruler. And Jesus standing there, who is God? This is a reality of we need grace, we need mercy. It's not our own goodness that we're made good. It's the Lord's work in us. So the psalmist says in Psalm 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Who are the ones declared to be good? Right there, the man who takes refuge in him. And this week, in the most precious way, filled with grace and love, Marlene and Dini's father, to his gathered family, the funeral of their sister, his daughter, implored his family, Take your refuge in the Lord. Find your refuge in the Lord. It's a shelter. It's safety that nothing, no trial, no problem can ever take away from us. Listen to what John Calvin says. He says, whoever then desires to be sustained by the hand of God. All right, is that you? Do you need to be sustained by God? Do you need food today? Do you need oxygen today? Do you need your legs to keep working and your mind to keep working and your heart to keep pumping? You realize that all comes from God. 
There's nothing we can do on our own. Well, I got this and I bought this and I sold that. And look at my barns, said the rich, Jesus said, fool. If you desire to be sustained by the hand of God, then look at this invitation. Let him constantly lean upon it. Not just when things go bad. And whoever would be defended by it, let him patiently repose himself under it. Placing ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that's where he exalts us in due time. So there's two kinds of people. Those who trust in the Lord and the second type of person is though these individuals are those who do not trust in the Lord. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. You're here, you're listening, you're watching and you either trust the Lord or you do not trust the Lord and both come with consequences. It matters in time and it matters in eternity if you are a person who trusts in the Lord or if you are a person who does not trust in the Lord. So how does the psalmist describe those who place their trust somewhere other than the Lord? He says, first of all, they're temporarily relevant in verse 3. They're only relevant temporarily. Doesn't matter how wealthy they are. Doesn't matter how powerful they are, how much strength they have, how much fame they have, how popular they are. If that's where their confidence rests, it's just temporary. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. From time to time, the Lord would allow the enemies of Israel to reign over the city. And it would appear that what happened? I I thought Mount Zion was untakeable. I thought we worshiped the God who reigns over all things. Aren't we exempt? No, we're not exempt from trials. We're not exempt from suffering and hard times. At times, we as believers, we feel the power and we feel the persecution of those who do not love the Lord and do not love his people and do not love his church. But beloved, I don't want you to be taken by surprise. When the children of Israel would see that, you know, there was Saul and there was David and there was, you know, Solomon and then Rehoboam comes along and this just all falls apart. And eventually they go into exile after king, after king who was wicked and turned their back on the Lord. The Lord then dealt with his people because he's faithful. He's a covenant partner who is faithful. God allows his people to be tested. God uses trials and he would even use foreign kings to purify his people and to keep their hearts tender toward him. Trials are given to prove your faith not to crush your faith. There's a purpose. So our prayer is not always just to keep us from trials. No. Keep us. Secure us through trials. Uphold us by your right hand. Listen to what James chapter 1 and verse 11 says. And when you think about, all right, who, who is running North Korea right now? Who is in charge? You look at our nation And it's just further and further division as the sides are moving further apart and more hatred and more hatred just keeps boiling up. Listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus says, verse 11 of chapter one, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
planning to do this, planning to do that, buy, sell, go, do, and at any moment, everything matters. Do you trust in the Lord? Have you not yet trusted in the Lord? Because that's all that matters. You can be a dictator, you can be a king, an emperor, a president, a whoever, governor, but all that matters in time and eternity is have you put your faith and trust in the Lord? Psalm 1, it's a threshold psalm for the rest of the psalms. And it, and it portrays, here's the two types of individuals. Here's the righteous person and here are the wicked. And it matters. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, 1, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree. The righteous man will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. It will last for all time and eternity when it's done for the Lord and done through Christ. But verse 4 says, the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Two different people. Those who trust in the Lord, those who do not trust in the Lord, the righteous, the ungodly, both come with outcomes. They're temporarily relevant And we see in verse 5 that these who do not trust in the Lord are turned toward destruction. That's where they're headed. Somebody might be listening today and you've never turned and trusted in the Lord. Turn, repent, turn around, go the other way. Look to Christ, look to the Lamb of God. They're turned toward destruction. Judgment is impending on all who have not taken refuge in the Lord Jesus. And verse 5 says, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Those who do not trust in the Lord, they're known for their evil and their wickedness and their sin. Those who say they trust in the Lord, but they don't trust in the Lord, they're known for hypocrisy because they eventually turn aside to crooked ways, revealing that's what was going on in all along inside. So the psalmist is warning of God's righteous judgment comes upon all sin and upon all sinners who have not repented and put their trust in the Lord. God is just. And he will deal justly with sin and with sinners. Listen to what Thomas Goodwin says about these who are turned toward destruction. He said, they walked according to the prince of the air and they shall go where the prince of the air is. That's a person who's not trusted in the Lord. They don't love Jesus. They don't love his people. They don't want to be with the people of God. They don't want to worship Jesus. They are in charge. They think of their lives. The answer to the prayer, I don't want God, is hell. Eternally separated from God. So the psalmist is appealing to this mountain, that Mount Zion, it's better than Mount Sinai. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12. I would encourage you, take some time, 
Recently, we read through Hebrews together. Hebrews chapter 12, it starts out with putting your eyes on Jesus. Chapter 11, it's all about salvation by faith. Chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So we have to run our race. And then it talks about in chapter 12, the discipline that comes from a father to a son. And the the writer says, what father is there that doesn't discipline a son? That doesn't call their son to do what honors the Lord and do what's right. God is a faithful father. He deals with his children. So listen, if someone says, Lord doesn't deal with me. I don't see his hand dealing. No, No chastisement in my life. There's no discipline. I can do what I want to do. Then the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, you need to determine and examine, do you really belong to the Lord? And when he gets to this, he's comparing these mountains, Hebrews 12, 22. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. It's all about the mountains, and it's all about making that journey and the festivals and anticipation. And it's not we have to get to Jerusalem today. Let's book a flight. It's all about there's a coming Jerusalem that everything has been pointing toward. All of those trips back and forth 3,000 years ago when Jesus was with his family 2,000 years ago, it was all pointing to what God in Christ would do for our salvation so that one day we will see this new Jerusalem, this city coming down from heaven, this city prepared by God like a bride for a bridegroom. Are you ready for this? Are you anticipating this? Revelation 14 and verse 1, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. This day is coming. And you get to Revelation 21 and it uses that city. Here's the city of God, this beautiful, this holy city. And what will not be allowed in this city is any defilement. Those who are unbelieving, those who are immoral, immoral, it will not be all types of sexual sin, unbelieving. All of that will be excluded from the city. Who is allowed in the city? Those who have been washed in the blood of the lamb. Those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord. It ends with a prayer of peace. A prayer for peace. Peace be upon Israel that peace belongs to those who trust in the Lord. If someone that you know does not know Christ, our number one prayer is not that they have peace outside of Christ. It's that they find the peace that passes understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's found in Jesus. Trying to understand this, I read what John Calvin wrote, and he said this. The psalmist does not speak generally of all the race of Abraham, according to the flesh. He rather wishes that the church of God may be purged of hypocrites who occupy a place in her until God lift up his hand to judgment. That was always a problem in Israel, that the people would say one thing, and do another. And repeatedly the Lord through the prophets would say, get the idols out of your house. Your lips, you honor me, but your hearts are far from me. 
So the, the call would constantly come, change, change your ways. Let your heart be changed. Can I ask you the question, which person are you? Are you this morning trusting in the Lord or are you the person who has not yet trusted in the Lord? You know what my prayer is? Is that today you would say, I hear you, Lord. I surrender. I'm gonna put my full weight down on Jesus, the lamb slain for sinners. If that's you, and you have come to faith in Christ, would you share that with us? If you're watching online, would you send us an email? Would you let us know in the comments? We wanna encourage you, we wanna pray for you. Here's our questions. Working out from this reality in our next step, those who trust in the Lord are compared to a mountain. Mount Zion, why is this significant? Like you were probably coming in here this morning like Mount Zion. I mean, I, I doubt you have a bumper sticker on your car. Mount Zion. You know, woo-woo, Zion. But now when you hear Psalm 125 and you're like, I have a share in, or I, I should have a share in that mountain. That mountain either doesn't matter to you or you now see the, that mountain should matter to me because of what took place and who is represented, the God of that Mount Zion. The second question is this, when have you felt overwhelmed? Oh, nobody here? We've never felt overwhelmed? <laughs> yeah. Well, just... Get on social media for about three minutes. You'll be overwhelmed. You start weighing into it, and your, your family's going to be overwhelmed. How does knowing that you are protected by God make a difference? Isn't that the stabilizer we need? I am protected by God, or I'm not yet protected by God if you haven't trusted in him. Third question is this, how have you ex personally experienced the goodness of God? How have you personally experienced, this is an opportunity for thanksgiving. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, how have you experienced his goodness? And the last question is this, in light of eternity, consider the end of all who have never put their trust in the Lord. What's the right response for you? What's the right response for me when I think about everybody in my family, everybody on my block, everybody in this community and in this world, they are going to spend eternity somewhere. And what matters is have they trusted in the Lord? So what are we gonna do about it? What is a right response? May God give us the strength and the courage and the grace to obey in love, our love for him and our love for people. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the safety that we find in you that we cannot find anywhere else. Thank you that you are our protector. So many times, Lord, I, I could have just ruined everything and you are my protector. You are where I find safety. So may everyone on the sound of my voice today come to know you as the God who is good and run to you for shelter, for safety, for protection. In the good and faithful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. 
We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.